You're listening to a sermon preached at Chao English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you for giving us your word. We pray that as we look at what might be a familiar passage for some of us, we pray that you'll help us to look carefully at what it is saying and help us, Lord, to see what it is saying through the light of the Old Testament. Father, we pray that as a result of our time together now, that we might know Jesus better and that we might know how to respond to him more faithfully and more appropriately. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your truth. We pray that you'll speak to us in such a transformative way. For it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Well, let me tell you about a man and his son, Jason, uh, who lives in Sydney. He has a teenage son, Rob. They're not their real names. I've tried to protect their identities to protect the guilty, but Jason has a son named Rob. Rob is now 17 years old, and last year, Jason writes, there were some serious, shall we say, relational difficulties, relational challenges between him and his son, Rob. Jason and his son Rob, they were fighting about some things. Rob wasn't very happy about some of the rules of the house. He was sick of his dad bossing him around until finally, to quote Jason, his son Rob crossed a line. He behaved in a way that Jason found completely unacceptable. And so he sent his son away. He kicked him out of the house. He didn't send him out onto the street. What he did was he organized for his son to spend a couple of weeks in country New South Wales with his second cousin. Uh, In addition, the son also spent a few weeks on a farm, and then he spent a few more weeks with another family in Sydney, a close friend of Jason. Well, after about a month, uh, the dad was ready to have his son return. He was willing and ready to forgive. And let me tell you, The son, Rob, he was well and truly ready to come home. Out on that farm in country New South Wales, he was made to work, manual labor, early morning to late night. And I think he was quite shocked by what he saw and what he experienced. Uh, I think he was also stuck with this other family where all of a sudden there's no computer games. They just got four kids constantly nagging him to come outside, play cricket, come outside, climb trees with us. I think in addition, it was really difficult for Rob to realize that he's so far away from the comforts of his own home, his friends, his family, his bed, and Rob would never admit it, but I reckon he missed his mum as well. And so, when the month was up and his dad rang, he was more than happy to sort things out, more than happy to talk and to make it work. He was very happy to apologize and to say that things will improve from now on. So Jason sent up a train ticket and his son was allowed to return back home. In a recent email, Jason writes this, my son was away much of November, December after he finished school for the year and he has come back a changed man, very much for the better. You might say, that this teenage boy 
was sent off into exile, into the wilderness of country New South Wales, to the wilderness of the farm and his dad's friend's house, until eventually his father was ready to welcome him back home. But the thing is this, the son needed to change. If he was going to come back and live in his father's house, he needed to become a changed man. Well, you know, in the Old Testament, a similar thing happened to God's son, to the nation of Israel. God had brought Israel out of Egypt. He brought them home to the promised land. He gave them his laws, his house rules, so to speak. But just like a rebellious teenage son, Israel refused to obey God's rules. God warned them time and time again. He warned them. He sent prophet after prophet. He told them what the consequences of their rebellion and disobedience would be. But Israel didn't listen. Eventually, they crossed a line. And God found their behavior completely unacceptable. And so he sent them far off into exile. History tells us that Israel were defeated by the nations of Assyria and Babylon. They were kicked out of their home. And even by the time of Jesus, exile was still a reality for God's people, the Israelites. Now Israel had been allowed to come back into their homeland. They were in the land, but they never really came home. They had never come back under the blessing of God. And to quote them in the book of Nehemiah, it says they were slaves in their own land, slaves in their own land, in exile at home, so to speak. They were slaves first of the Persian Empire and then of the Greek Empire. And then by the time of Jesus, they were slaves under the Roman Empire. Israel didn't have their own king. They didn't have a king that God appointed to look after them. Despite God's promise to give David's family an eternal kingdom, there was no son of David on the throne at the time of Jesus. Instead, God's people, the Israelites, were suffering under that dreadful Roman appointee. Remember his name? Remember his name from last week? What's his name? King Herod. By the time of Jesus, Israel was still effectively in exile. But do you remember Jesus' family tree? Abraham, David, exile, Jesus. Do you remember his family tree? Do you remember how he saw his family tree? It sets the agenda for his life. It set the mission for his life. It reveals his purpose to fulfill the promise to Abraham, to bless God's people. His, his purpose is to fulfill the promise to David, to have an eternal ruler over God's exiled people. Jesus is born to bring God's blessing and his rule to his exiled people. And as we've looked together in the Gospel of Matthew so far, we've seen something of how he's going to do it, haven't we? We've seen that so far. We saw it first in the names. Do you remember? We saw it in the names. Jesus, which means that he will save his people from their sins. In context, that's what it means. We also saw it in the other name. Emmanuel, which means that he will be God with us. We saw it in the names. If that wasn't enough, last week we saw it in his early life. Travels of little baby Jesus. He's born as a king in David's town of Bethlehem, and he will be the promised ruler and shepherd of God's people, Israel. In fact, the blessings of Abraham to the nations will come as all people, just like the Magi that we saw, will come and bow down in worship to King Jesus. 
but it's not going to be the cushy life of a king for King Jesus. No, no. Instead, he identifies himself with Israel. Jesus himself, as God's son, endures exile in Egypt. Remember we saw that? Rachel, again, is weeping for her children. But God will bring them home. How's he going to do it? Well, not through King Jesus of Jerusalem. No, no. How's he going to do it? He's going to do it through Jesus of Nazareth, the Nazarene, right? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, the one who would be despised and hated and rejected and mocked. It's a rich picture that Matthew's been giving to us so far in our journey through his gospel. And he's given us the same message over and over again, which is Jesus is going to bring God's exiled people home. That's the message. Jesus is going to bring God's exiled people home, home from exile, home to be in God's kingdom. God's people in God's place under the blessing promised to Abraham, under the king in the line of David. Through Jesus, God is ready to bring his exiled people home. But there's a question. The question is, is Israel, like Jason's son Rob, a changed man? Are Israel ready and willing to live in God's house, where God sets the rules? Do they want to come home from exile? Do they want to be God's subjects in his kingdom? Well, friends, now in Matthew chapter 3, we're introduced to a man, a man by the name of John. And John, he has a message from God. The message is this. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's his message. The kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, God's promised king is coming. God is reestablishing his kingdom, and God is inviting Israel back into his kingdom. The exile is coming to an end. God is inviting his people back home from exile. God's kingdom is near. But the thing is, says John, that requires a response. It means that Israel need to repent. That's what it means. To repent means basically to be a changed man, like Rob. To repent means to change your mind. Repentance is when you're going this way, you stop, you turn 180 degrees, and you're going the other way. Repentance is changing your mind and changing your life. John says, the kingdom of God is near but it requires a response, and that response is repentance. You need to change your ways, he says to Israel. You need to change your behavior in context here. If God's kingdom is near, it means you need to stop living your way. You stop ignoring God. You stop disobeying God. You stop trying to be your own king. Instead, you need to repent and be ready to live as God's subjects in his kingdom, doing things his way. You've got to be ready and willing to live in God's house by God's rules, so to speak. That's the picture. Look with me at Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2, and notice John's message. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And now Matthew identifies John from the Old Testament. He refers to Isaiah chapter 40, which was our other reading today, by the way. In Isaiah chapter 40, a man is called to speak to God's people, and he has to tell them that their time of exile is over. 
God is coming to rescue them. He's coming to bring them home. And I want us to look together at a part uh, of that passage from Isaiah that was read to us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Follow along with me. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 to 3. It's on the screens. This is what it says. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse 9. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Matthew says, this prophecy is fulfilled. John the Baptist is that voice in the desert announcing the end of the exile. God is coming to take his people home to his kingdom. Look with me back in Matthew chapter 3 at verse three. Matthew chapter three, verse three. This, that is John the Baptist, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Well, Matthew then tells us what John was like. Like the prophet Elijah from the Old Testament, we see that he lived off the land. Look with me at verse four. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. The honey was probably used to disguise the terrible taste of the locusts. And John, uh, we see that he's got a special ritual for the people of Israel. He's got a special ritual. He's calling on them to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near, but that's not all he does. He doesn't just call on them. He also gives them a ritual a ritual to demonstrate their repentance. A ritual to demonstrate their repentance. Now, this is genius stuff, but to truly appreciate the the whole weight of this, to fully understand what's going on with this ritual, I need to remind you a bit of Old Testament history. It goes all the way back to the first time that Israel were in exile in the land of Egypt. Now, I'm assuming that most of you know the story, right? The 10 plagues, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, 40 years in the wilderness, remember that? But do you remember exactly how they came home? Do you remember how they came home the first time? How they came into the promised land? Moses was dead by this stage, Joshua was ruling Israel, and they were on the eastern side of the Jordan River near the town of Jericho. And if you remember, there God does another miracle. Just like he parted the Red Sea, if you remember, God parted the Jordan River and Israel walked through the Jordan and into the promised land. That's how they came into the promised land, through the Jordan and into the land. And then you get the battle of Jericho where the walls come tumbling down and so on. God led Israel in the Old Testament through the Jordan into the promised land. That's how he brought them home the first time. Uh, Look with me on the screens at Joshua chapter 3, verse 9 to 17. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, verse 13. And as soon as a priest who carried the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. 
Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. Get this. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Okay, so back in Matthew, here's John, and he's got a message. What's the message? God's kingdom is near. God is ready to bring you home from exile. That's the message. But you need to repent. You need to be willing to come home. You need to be willing to live in God's house by God's rules. But John doesn't just have a verbal message. No, no. He's got a way for Israel to respond. What he does, he gets them to come back across to the other side of the Jordan. Think about that. They come out to him, the text says, very deliberately, back out to the desert, back out to the wilderness, back outside the promised land. There, outside the promised land, they are to what? Confess their sins, all the ways they fail to live by God's rules, and then what does John do? He gets them to go back through the Jordan River and out into the land. He baptizes them. He baptizes them. That's a connection to the Old Testament. That's a throwback. That's amazing. He baptizes them. The word baptize, it just means dip. It just means immerse or submerge. That's what it means to baptize. He baptizes them in the Jordan and then he sends them on their way to the promised land, ready to live by God's rules, ready for God to come and reestablish his kingdom. Do you see the significance of the baptism? It's amazingly significant, the connection to the Old Testament. It's a reenactment of what happened in Joshua's time. That's what it is. It's a way for the Israelites to kind of, just like getting the keys to the house when you're old enough, it's, it's a way for the Israelites to kind of open the door in a sense, to open the door and to come home. It's a way for the Israelites to say, I'm ready. I'm ready to come to God's house. I'm a changed man. I am a changed woman. I want to live God's way in God's kingdom under his rules, so send me that train ticket. That's what it is. It's a vivid lesson, I think. It's a vivid demonstration. It actually reminds me a little bit of the Lord's Supper. Communion. We don't just say, yes, I accept Jesus' death for me. No, no, it's more than that. We eat, we drink, we partake. We vividly demonstrate that we're taking on the benefits of Jesus' death onto ourselves. It's not just a matter of speaking it and hearing it. No, no, it's more than that. It's a matter of seeing it and touching it, holding it, tasting it. John called the people to come and do this vivid ritual to show their repentance, to say to God, just like Rob did, I am a changed man and I'm ready to come home. But not everyone wanted to do it. In fact, some of the people you'd expect to want to do it didn't. 
Matthew tells us about the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders in Israel at the time, the people who were apparently most concerned about living God's way. Some of these religious leaders, they come out to see John, not because they believe his message, not because they want to be baptized, no, no. They just want to kind of like suss him out. They want to check him out. Let's see if he's kosher or something like that. They probably want to have a grumble about some ways that John wasn't fitting in with their idea of proper religiousness. And we see that John doesn't have any time for them. He doesn't have a lot of sympathy for them. He calls them snakes. He insults them. God is ready to welcome them home as well. But they need to be changed men. Look with me at verse 7 and 8. Matthew 3, verse 7 and 8. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruits in keeping with repentance. John goes on to say, you can't rely on your heritage as a Jew. You can't rely on you being a child of Abraham. No. And he says, pointing out to some rocks, some stones, possibly even the same 12 stones that Joshua set up back in his day. He says, God can make anyone he wants into his person. He can make even a rock into his person. In other words, it's not about your heritage. It's not about your ancestry. It's about your repentance. It's about your repentance. Look with me at verse nine. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. John then spells out the consequences of non-repentance. And according to John, if you're not repenting, if you're not repentant, it means that you have no place with God. You have no place with God. Just like a fruitless tree, you will be cut down and burned. Look with me at verse 10. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Friends, can you see what's happening here? God is calling his people home, but they need to change. They need to repent. They need to want to live in God's kingdom. Imagine with me for a sec. Imagine Rob um, calls his dad after a month, and you know the, the dad says, son, are you ready to come home? Imagine the son says, no way. I don't want to live in your house. I don't want to live by your rules. I don't want to go to school. I'd rather live here with these farmers. Now, it didn't happen uh, when he saw how strict their rules were, how difficult their life was. I think he was actually very relieved to go back to his father's house and live under his father's rules. But just imagine if he did. That would have been the end, right? That's how you burn a bridge. That's the end. There would have been no train tickets sent up. There'd have been no welcome home to his mom, welcome home to his dad. There would have been no welcome home to your own bed, to your own friends and all the good things of home. Now, of course, with, with Rob, he could have gotten away with that. He can technically live without his parents. But I want to say this. It's not like that with God. It's not like that with God. You refuse to live in God's kingdom, then you're cut off from the only source of happiness, eternal safety, and goodness. You refuse to live in God's house, and as John says here, there's only a fiery judgment waiting for you. 
Okay, well, John's calling people to repentance. He's getting them to reenact the entry into the promised land. He's warned them of the consequences of non-repentance. Now, in this last part of our passage, John talks about a person, a person who's gonna come after him, a great person, so great that John isn't even worthy to be his slave. John says, this is the man who's gonna do it. He's not just gonna baptize in a river. No, no, he's gonna baptize with the Holy Spirit. He will bring God's people home like wheat gathered into a barn. But for those who refuse to come home, oh, it's bad news. Look with me at verse 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, just before we apply this, just a quick side note, just a note uh, on baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I think uh, a lot of modern-day Christians have a misunderstanding of what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. Uh, We're going to touch on that uh, uh, very quickly. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's an Old Testament idea. It's an Old Testament idea, and it's a throwback to when God was speaking to Israel while they were slaves in exile. It's when God spoke through prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and God said, look, you've really messed up. The prophets say to them, God has thrown you out of the land because your hearts are like stone, because you don't want to obey God, because you don't want to live in his place. But the prophets say, God is going to establish a new covenant with you. He's going to forgive your sins. He's going to give you his Holy Spirit so you'll be able to repent, so that you'll be able to be a changed man, a changed woman. So you'll be able to not just come home to God, but to remain at home with God. Now, just very quickly, I've got an example of this to show you. It's from Ezekiel chapter 36. Uh, Ezekiel 36, verse 27, 28, where it says this. I'll put my spirit in you, that's the Holy Spirit, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So, you've got to picture it. As he dips them, as he immerses them, as he baptizes them in his Holy Spirit, they're now enabled to follow his decrees, to follow his instructions. Now they're actually enabled, empowered to be repentant. And so verse 28, you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing more than that. That's what it's talking about in the Bible. Well, okay, friends, can you see what's here? Can you see what's in this passage uh, in Matthew chapter three? Quick summary, John says, God's kingdom is near. He's ready to welcome his people home, but you need to respond. You need to repent. You need to be a changed man, so to speak. John, he then gets them to demonstrate their willingness to repent by confessing their sins, by reenacting the entry into the promised land, baptism. John warns those who won't repent that judgment awaits them. And John also announces that a man is coming after him who will do the job of bringing God's people home. Friends, this needs to be said today. John's message is still true today. John's message is still true, it's unchanged. In fact, 
after John gets put in jail and Jesus starts preaching, you know what Jesus' message is? Next page, Matthew chapter four, it's right there. Look at Jesus' message, Matthew chapter four, verse 17. Can you see it there? What's Jesus' message? Chapter four, verse 17, this is what he says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, word for word. It's the same. And of course, what Jesus then proceeds to do in the rest of the gospel is to open up the kingdom of heaven for his people. By his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus prepares God's kingdom for us. And also he prepares us for God's kingdom. Friends, here's how it is. And if you get nothing else, get this. Through Jesus, God is calling on you to come home. God, through Jesus, is calling you home. Through Jesus, God is ready and willing to welcome you into his kingdom. It's all prepared. It's all ready. You can come home, but the question is, are you ready to come home? Do you want to live in God's kingdom where he's the king and where you have to follow his rules? It seems like a bit of a strange question, to be honest, doesn't it? Like, do you want to be in heaven? But I ask that because it's well worth asking, I think. I mean, just humanly speaking, me personally, I'm used to living in my own house with my rules. I don't want to go back and live with my parents anymore in their house. There's nothing wrong with them, but I'm just used to living my way in my place with my rules. I wonder, is that how it is with me and God going back to his house? Do I really want to live in God's house, in God's kingdom, where he is the king and not me, where he sets the rules and not me, where I do things his way and not my way? I mean, I say, yes, I do. I mean, I say, yes, I want to be in heaven. Yes, I want to be God's person. Of course, I say that. But I've got to say, if I'm honest, sometimes my life, it contradicts my words. I don't know about you, but that's just, that's just me. Sometimes, truth be told, the, the way I live my life is inconsistent with what I confess with my words. When I examine my life, sometimes I realize I don't always demonstrate this. I don't always show it. I don't always show it in my personal life. I don't always show it in my family life. I don't always show it in my working life. Far too often, the way I act, the way I behave, the way I live, it reveals that I actually want to live my way and not God's way. Are you like that? Does your life reveal question marks about whether you want to be in God's house? Friends, God is ready to welcome us home, every single one of us. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've said. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. Through the gospel, God is ready to welcome you home. You, not the person next to you, you. No matter where you're at spiritually. He invites you to come home, but we have to ask ourselves, am I a changed man? Am I a changed woman? Friends, God's word to us today is this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let us pray.
our Father and our God, we thank and praise you that you have done everything that it takes to welcome us home. We thank you that Jesus has lived the life we should have lived, identifying with us, and that he has died the death that we deserved. We thank you that he has risen again in glory as our eternal shepherd Davidic king. Our Father, we thank you that your kingdom is prepared for us and that you're willing to prepare us for your kingdom. Please, Father, fill us with your spirit. Please empower us and transform us to live as your people. Father, we pray that you will strengthen us now by your spirit so that we do repent, so that we do want to live your way. Help us by your Holy Spirit, even right now, to demonstrate this as we turn away from living life our way, from doing things our way, and instead demonstrating lives of love and devotion lived for you. Help us in response to your great kindness to love you and to love our neighbors, to live missionally, to live for your glory. Strengthen us in these ways, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.